And it is another week. This is Andrew Wood, Executive Director of Hope Resource Center. Thank you so much for tuning in, whether that be live over at Joy 620 or you're listening to the podcast at investinghope.com, Google Play, iTunes, wherever podcasts are found. You can listen to this show. We are, we got a lot of stuff to talk about today. Uh, states around the country continue to pass pro-life laws, uh, specifically trigger laws and one out of, uh, coming out of Texas. We're going to talk about here in a second. We're also going to look at, um, some things, some other things that are happening, but but one thing that uh, to note is former president of Planned Parenthood is uh, has wrote a book and is speaking out uh, by about her short-lived uh, presidency of that organization, and so she was the president for uh, less than a year after Cecile Richards <clears throat> was the president for many years, and it's interesting that we we get some honesty and some transparency and uh, kind of a look behind the curtain. In, in in what Planned Parenthood was doing and is doing, and, and it's an interesting uh, perspective uh, from the former president uh, of that organization, who is would not say that she's pro-life. She's certainly pro-choice. She still even uh, supports what Planned Parenthood's doing, but uh, her mission, vision, and goals for that organization very much different than uh, than the board and those that that operate. And we're going to talk about that here in a little bit, but but first I wanted to get into uh, some things that are happening around the country, specifically in Texas. And there's a piece over at National Review that I want to bring to your attention, uh, written by Kevin Williamson, a great writer. Uh, he says this, Texas has joined 10 other U.S. states in adopting a, quote, trigger law that will ban abortion in the state if Roe v. Wade is overturned. Other states should follow suit, and it is likely that at least some, of course, will. Trigger laws perform several useful functions. And one thing to note to give you some context, if you're listening locally from the state of Tennessee, we do have a trigger law in effect in the state of Tennessee. And let's, so let's, let's go into what that is. The first of these is front-loading the abortion debate rather than trying to pass a bill in the wake of the Supreme Court's overturning Roe, should that come to pass. Roe is indefensible as a matter of law, something that is clear even to many legal critics who are supporters of abortion rights. But the members of the pro-abortion camp do not care whether it is good law. They care about getting their way by any means necessary. It is difficult to say whether the Supreme Court actually will overturn Roe in its companion cases, but if five of the justices were to muster enough self-respect to do their job, it is likely that the ruling would be followed by some considerable civic disturbance and political violence, because that is how Americans do things now. Better to have the law on the books before the riots start. A second and related benefit of a trigger law is that it forces legislators to work out the details of a post-Roe regime in advance. There are many ways to get about prohibiting, <clears throat> to, many ways to go about prohibiting abortion and many questions to be answered. Will all abortions be prohibited? If there are exceptions, what will they be? And with what penalties will the law be enforced? Different states are going to answer those questions differently. Texas's law, for example, contains no exceptions for cases of rape and incest, though it does include an exception for women with physical medical conditions that would make pregnancy life-threatening. Utah's law, on the other hand, contains rape and incest exceptions. We have 50 states for a reason. And in a post-Roe world, it is likely that we will end up with many radically different abortion statutes among the states. Texas will do things differently from Utah, and Utah will probably do things very differently from New Jersey. We've, of course, talked about that on this show 
many, many times. On the matter of criminal penalties, Texas's law starts in the right place. With abortionists facing fines up to $100,000 and the doctors and other medical professionals among them facing possible loss of their license. This would put Texas roughly in line with France, the notorious right-wing dystopia. Though France imposes prison terms of up to 10 years for violating its general ban on abortions after 12 weeks. If our goal is to actually reduce the number of abortions performed with the hope of taking that number ultimately to zero, revoking doctor's medical license and levying significant fines may be significant, uh, sufficient. The third benefit of a trigger law is that it lays down a marker legally, politically, and yes, culturally. Texas Democrats, whose thinking is distorted by sentimental memories of Ann Richards, convince themselves from time to time that the state is on the verge of a pro-choice backlash that never quite manages to materialize. The last great white liberal lady of hope of Texas Democrats, Wendy Davis, made abortion a central issue of her 2014 gubernatorial campaign and failed to break 40% of the vote in losing to Greg Abbott, the current governor of the state. Gallup consistently finds that something on the order of 70% of Americans support some restrictions on abortion, meaning they reject the Democrats' absolutism on the issue. A solid majority of Gallup respondents want abortion, quote, legal in only a few circumstances or illegal in all circumstances, while the, quote, legal in all camp, representing the Democrats' de facto position, compromises one in three voters. Up from 2019's one in four, but still a distinctly minority position. Texas Republicans have a thousand and one genuine political vulnerabilities, but taking a proactive stance on abortion is not one of them. Of course, the Supreme Court isn't supposed to watch election returns, but Roe v. Wade imposed abortion radicalism on the United States through anti-democratic means. And it is worth it for the state legislatures to communicate to the Supreme Court what the situation is in the nation's democratic institutions. There is a time for anti-democratic action. That is why we have a Bill of Rights. But the Bill of Rights is silent on the question of abortion, whatever nonsense Justice Blackman pulled out of his uh, penumbra. The point of overturning Roe is not to end abortion in the United States. It is to allow the emergence of a democratic settlement regarding the issue. I want you to hear that sentence again. The point of overturning Roe is not to end abortion in the U.S., It is to allow the emergence of a democratic settlement regarding the issue. That means it allows for the states to determine what happens in those states. That's what it does. That's what ending Roe does. It doesn't end abortion. It allows the states to decide what happens in their borders. That settlement will be imperfect, but it probably, not certainly, will be an improvement on the status quo. It is easiest to understand this as mitigation, as damage control. The liberationist ethic of the 60s and 70s has produced some very unhappy consequences, some of which have been noted over the years by religious moralists and others of, of which have been documented by feminists, including radical feminists, who, while they may reach different policy conclusions, recognize in their way the same savagery that has been so evident to conservatives. But it should be clear that by now that there is no real constituency for reinstituting the old order, only a few reactionary fin- uh Imagine an end to a no-fault divorce or a return to a norm of premarital virginity. Brandy Love surely is closer to the current uh, zeitgeist on the right than Jonathan Edwards. <clears throat> I mean, the 18th century preacher, the 21st century sleaze goes by John, but is legally Johnny and would be right at home in today's GOP under either name. 
For a free people, government is not a master instructing them how to live, but an instrument enabling them to live as they like, for better or for worse. Government must ultimately accommodate that, up to a point. And the discretionary extermination of inconvenient human beings is one such point. So a great piece there, and, and that's what we're, that's where we're at. <clears throat> that's why these trigger laws are important. That's why state legislators need to continue to take up these issues. Because there will be a day where Roe is overturned. I, I believe that. I long for a day where abortion is, is unthinkable, not simply unlawful. But the reality is overturning Roe does not make the U.S. anti-abortion. What it does is it goes back to the states. And we talked about this over and over and over again. But what you'll have is you'll have states like Tennessee, like Texas, that that go in the direction of no abortions in their state. Then you have places like New Jersey and New York and Virginia and Illinois and California that, that say, come one, come all for all the abortions you want and the taxpayers will pay for it. And, and so you, it just gets back to being democratic. What I mean by that, not, not democratic in terms of your party, democratic in terms of it allows the states to do what they see fit. <clears throat> and that's the way it should be. Then we will elect leaders that we believe will put that into place, that will pass laws to make that occur. Now, are we closer to seeing that? Maybe. I, I think a lot of people are starting to see the writing on the wall. Uh, the, the reason the abortion lobby is concerned is because they know that the decision that was made in 1973 had no foundation in the Constitution. They know that it was a terrible uh, legal argument. And frankly, the reason why we haven't seen it overturned since 1973, I believe, is because the court is scared of what might happen. Not, not from what conservatives will do, because we'll rejoice if Roe is overturned. They're scared of what the abortion lobby will do if the golden calf that is abortion is no longer the golden calf. If somebody takes a stick to it and breaks it into pieces and abortion isn't come one, come all in every state around the union. You see, it's a religion for them. They would say that I'm a religious zealot and a right-wing nut because I'm pro-life. Their religion may not have preaching on Sundays. Their religion may not have a faith in an eternity. Their religion may not believe that a uh, an author created all of this, that there's a God of the universe that, that put every star in the sky and every hair on my head. Their religion may not say that, but their religion says the state is the answer. Their religion says that I matter more than you. Their religion says that, that humans, certain humans have no value. You see, and that makes people uncomfortable, but that's what it is. It's a religion that requires you to say, that's not a baby, even though everyone knows that it is. It's a religion that requires you to say, that's a clump of cells, even though everyone knows it's an individual human being. It's a religion that, that, that claims science this and science that, but, but does, doesn't see the science that says that's a life in the womb. You see, that's fanaticism. That's a religion. That's a an idol. And that's a problem. That's why we are where we are today. That's why thousands will be aborted today and thousands will be aborted tomorrow and thousands will be aborted the next day. 
because we've told a culture, a generation, that some lives have more value. That's why it's hard for me to take serious people that say certain lives matter. I'm sorry, I can't take you serious because 3,000 babies die every day and they don't matter to you. You see, that's why I get upset. That's why we get frustrated. That's why we get cynical. That's why we get angry. But but at some point, we have to come together and say, it's not about politics. <clears throat> it's ultimately not about court decisions. It's about standing for the vulnerable. That is what we do. You see, we're not barbarians. Even folks that believe in evolution, like we're not animals. There's a reason why every day you see a story where strangers help others, other strangers. Somebody had a uh, a medical event and, and people broke into the car to save that person's life. Somebody's drowning and a lifeguard jumps in to save them or uh, a man jumps in the ocean to save a stranger and he ends up losing his own life. But he was willing to whisk it, risk it all. To protect someone else. Why do we do that? Because it's it's in, ingrained into us. Yet, 3,000 babies are aborted a day. The most vulnerable among us. Completely helpless. And we just move on. So yeah, I do hope ultimately Roe is overturned. I do hope it goes back to the states. I do hope these trigger laws go into effect. But that's not the end of it. There's still going to be work to do. There's going to be uh, political craziness and chaos and riots and marching. And just like the, the author of this piece said, <clears throat> these laws will take, enough, take care of all of that because they were already going place. But that doesn't mean it'll be over. I told somebody today, eventually the dog catches the car. Are we ready to catch the car? The chase is fun, but at some point that gets old. What are we going to do when we finally catch it? I pray we're ready. We'll talk more when we come back. So as we continue the conversation today, you know, a lot of talk's been given toward the the case out of Mississippi that the Supreme Court's taken up this summer. Hopefully we'll be getting a uh, response and an answer to that uh, in the near future. We shall see. Uh, but the New York Times recently had an article uh, on an opening brief from Mississippi in the upcoming Supreme Court's case, Dobbs versus Jackson Women's Health Organization. The case will consider Mississippi's ban on most abortions after 15 weeks of pregnancy. Though most of the piece is refreshingly bias-free, court reporter and commentator Alan, or Adam Liptak does wield one odd turn of phrase. Listen to what he said. The court will hear arguments in the case in the fall, giving its newly expanded conservative majority a chance to confront what may be the most dis- divisive issue in American law, whether the Constitution protects the right to end pregnancies, end quote. Now, as this reporter surely knows, women in the United States have always 
had the right to end pregnancies, or at least the ability to do so, and they'll retain that ability regardless of what happens in Dobbs. The most conventional way of, quote, ending pregnancy, after all, is simply to give birth. The question in Dobbs, as in every debate over abortion regulations, isn't about ending pregnancy. It's about ending the life of a unique organism, human organism. The court isn't considering whether the Constitution permits a woman to, quote, end pregnancy, but rather whether it grants her the right to intentionally kill the unborn human being developing inside of her. Though an abortion procedure does indeed, quote, end a pregnancy, it does so in a violent and immoral way. And that's the whole point. And so when we have these conversations and folks say things like, oh, they're just fighting for the right to end the pregnancy. Again, we talked on this show multiple times about why words matter. And, and, And they know what they're doing. Because if you said exactly what was happening, it changes everything. If you say, hey, we just want to end the pregnancy, well, that doesn't sound that bad, right? You were pregnant, now you're not. But what is ending a pregnancy? You were pregnant, now you're not. Okay, well, what were you pregnant with? A blob? That's why they say a blob. Or a clump of tissue? That's why they say a clump of tissue, because that's not human. That's just a blob. You know, what do they say? They say, oh, you're humanizing the fetus. Well, I'm sorry, but the fetus is human, so it doesn't need me to humanize it. All four of my kids were just as human when they were growing inside the womb as they are today, right? I mean, I was just as human in my mom as I am today, right? You were just as human today as you were when you were growing inside of your mom, right? I mean, isn't isn't that what we are? How can you humanize something that already is human? But see, they use these these phrases and they they play these word games because they know that, well, if we if we use this, that's not going to bother anybody. If we just talk about ending a pregnancy, well, people end pregnancies all the time. But if instead of saying ending the pregnancy, if we say in the life of the child growing inside of the womb, Oh, well, that changes things. That makes me uncomfortable. That makes me think. That makes me question my position. Right? I mean, and, and so, so as we, as we think through this, we have to be aware of these things. And I don't want to go all into it again, but, but that's why when we talk about, <clears throat> when we talk about the definitions of these words, it's important. What is an abortion? An abortion ends the life of a child in the womb. That's what an abortion does. A successful abortion means that a woman with a heartbeat and her baby with a heartbeat walked into an abortion clinic, and when she walks out, there's only one heartbeat. That's a successful abortion. Two heartbeats go in, one heartbeat comes out. Two lives go in, one life comes out. That is what a successful abortion is. A botched abortion means two heartbeat walks in and, and two heartbeats walk out. They botched it. The baby survived. So, so we have to be honest with ourselves. You know, we, we try to water it down and sugarcoat it and, 
you know, we don't want to make people uncomfortable and, and, and I don't want to get uncomfortable. And the last thing I want to do is get into a back and forth with, with somebody that disagrees with me or has lived a different life than me. But this is pretty black and white. And, and, and frankly, you're anti-science if you believe it's not a life. Because it is. And we know that the Bible says that, that God knitted us together in our mother's womb. We know that. So if you're a biblical worldview type person, if you're a Christian, if you see the world through that lens, then you go, okay, Psalm 139 says that we were knitted together in our mother's womb, that God knew every hair, hair on my head, that he knew every step I was going to take, he, he knew everything about me. Then, okay, you see it one way because we believe that God is the author of life. But if you believe all that is hogwash and that I'm a crazy person and that there's no fairy in the sky and, and all this, if you believe that, that I'm that crazy person and, and I'm just some ignorant backwoods person that believes there's an author of everything and you don't believe in the, the in those things, <clears throat> well, then science tells you that that's a life, right? Science tells you that, that that baby has a heartbeat. Science tells you. That baby is growing. Science tells you that baby has its own organs, its own DNA, its own blood type. Science tells you that baby's fingernails and toenails are, are being completed early on in pregnancy. Science tells you through their research that, that a baby at seven to eight months in utero can, can pick up accents of their parents. Science tells you that that baby will feel pain in the womb. Science tells you all of that. So you don't need the Bible to tell you that. Science tells you that. And, and science is your religion. Science is your ultimate. So if science is your ultimate, and that's how you view the world, then how do you argue with that? Unless you're anti-science, and, and you're not anti-science, are you? You see, it's an interesting thing that we do. But but because we, we water down the truth, because we, we don't call things what they are we can wrap it up in a nice package and make ourselves sound uh you know scientific and and caring and all these things but you just sound ignorant because when you say that that's not a life then what are we doing if you see somebody that's 25 weeks pregnant 30 weeks pregnant you say why are you telling her congratulations congratulations for what What are you congratulating her for? When you go to a baby shower and you take a gift, you don't take a gift for the mom. You're taking a, a diapers. Why, why does she need diapers? She just has a blob growing inside of her. Why does she need diapers? Oh, you're going to take her a pack and play. Is her and her husband going to sleep in that pack and play? Why are you taking her a pack and play? Because a blob doesn't need to sleep in a pack and play. When you go to a gender reveal party and, and they're, they're going to let you know if it's a boy or a girl, why are you, why are you taking, why are you going? First off, why are you celebrating? Cause a blob isn't a boy or girl. A clump of cells isn't a boy or girl. Why, why are you celebrating? What are we celebrating? Why are we getting together? Why is that? When you, when you look down at the, the pregnancy test and you see that, <clears throat> that little positive sign, why do, why does it, why does it bring tears to your eyes? If it's just a blob or a clump, why, why does it bring tears to your eyes? It's because it's the life, and that's how you've been designed. 
You see, these are conversations that we need to have. We, we won't have and, and nobody won't, desires to have them, but, <clears throat> but it makes a difference. So you see, it isn't about the right to end pregnancies. We need to call it what it is. Abortion is the right to end the life of another. And 3,000 of those lives are ended every single day. Not just pregnancies, but lives. Individual, never created before, will never be created again, lives. That's what it is. We'll talk more when we come back. So it's not often that I would say I agree with the former president of Planned Parenthood, but uh, I kind of do. An article over at Yahoo News, I've seen it other places as well, but but I think Yahoo was one of the first ones to carry it, uh, talking about former Ple- uh, Planned Parenthood president Dr. Uh, Wynn said she was told to say abortion at every interview. So she recently wrote a book. And, uh, man, it, it's really interesting to see. On her first full day of the job as Planned Parenthood's president. Now, listen to this. This tells you where our culture is at. Okay? This tells you where our culture is at. So, on her first full day on the job as Planned Parenthood's president, Dr. Wynn, do you know where she went? First full day on the job, she appeared on ABC's The View. To talk about her vision for the organization. Now I know that hope isn't as big as, as Planned Parenthood. But on my first full day of the job, I wasn't getting calls from uh, major networks for an interview. So as the first physician at Planned Parenthood's helm, Wynn was dedicated to centering the organization in Americans' psyche as a nonpartisan healthcare service provider. She talked about how women's healthcare is healthcare and how receiving screenings and medication doesn't need to be political. When the segment wrapped, Wynn, who'd left her role as Baltimore's health commissioner for the gig, was elated that it had resonated with the live cheering audience. But her new colleagues at Planned Parenthood's headquarters were not, Wynn had had failed to say the word abortion. So Wynn went on to The View. She did a great interview. People clapped. They cheered for her. She was in a she wasn't in a hostile environment. As long as she went on Fox News. She didn't go on Glenn Beck's radio show. She went on the view, the view, which is, you know, that's going to be a, a very, very favorable environment for her. Uh, she was cheered and applauded. And so she walked out thinking, man, I really killed that interview. That was great. I did a great job. I put my vision out there. People are going to support me. Hey, let's get the ball rolling my first full day. But the segment wrapped and she was told, hey, you didn't even say the word abortion. And we find this out in her new book, Lifelines, A Doctor's Journey in the Fight for Public Health, that was uh, out on July 27th. Wynn details how the tension between her mission and Planned Parenthood's advocacy smoldered from the first day until she left her post just eight months later. After the ABC segment, a board member texted her, and this is what the text said. Next time, make sure you talk about abortion. You notice they didn't say, hey, you did a great job. We are so grateful that that you're in this position. The first text, next time, make sure you talk about abortion. You know, earlier in the show, I said it's a religion. You see what I'm saying now? It's the golden calf. Oh, it's all well and good you talked about pap smears. It's all well and good you talked about women's health. 
you didn't say the word abortion. That's what the board wanted her to know. They said this, you need to talk about abortion every at every media interview. That's what a national staffer told her too. You're the president of Planned Parenthood. People expect that from you. Think about that. Planned Parenthood wants to tell you, hey, we're about, we're about women's health. And when, when pro-lifers say, no, all you care about is abortion, they say, oh no, abortion is just 3% of what we do, which is a lie. But that's the, that's what they say. Abortion is just 3% of what we do. But we're getting to see behind the curtain here and, and when was told, Hey, you, you're expected to say abortion in every interview. Like every interview, you need to get back to abortion. You know, Charles Spurgeon used to say, no matter what sermon, what text I preach, I always have to run back to the cross because that's what the gospel is about. That's what the Bible is about. Everything points us to Jesus. Well, in Planned Parenthood, in that religion, the religion of abortion, everything runs back to abortion. It doesn't matter if you ask me about pap smears, I gotta take you back to abortion. It doesn't matter if you ask me about STD testing, I gotta take you back to abortion. Everything runs back to abortion. That's their religion, that's their idol. Not saying abortion, listen to this, another staff member told Wynn this, not saying abortion sounds as if you're ashamed of it. Wynn, who is pro-choice, took the stance that she and the organization should advocate for all reproductive health services like birth control and sex ed, which could reach more people and help reduce the need for abortions. She believed using, quote, pro-abortion language alienated people whose decision to get one was painful. What, what, what? You mean people got abortions and, and it was a painful decision for them? I mean, it truly sounds like Dr. Wynn cared about women. That, that she understands it's a tough decision. That she understands people know what abortion is. It's not just ending a pregnancy, but it's ending a life. But Wynn said her colleagues viewed that position as trying to, quote, cover up abortion. They said acknowledging some patient's difficulty with seeking the procedure was dramatic, since it's common, usually simple, and generally safe. Did you hear that? The president of this organization is out there caring about women, caring about women that may hear her speak, that had an abortion and had a traumatic experience, caring about women that, that are in a, a post-abortive support group, caring about them and saying, I know that was tough on you. And the staffers and the board and the higher-ups at Planned Parenthood are saying, that's nonsense. You're just being dramatic. Abortion is common, simple, and generally safe. Think about that. They said this, quote, if we don't talk about abortion openly, loudly, and proudly as a positive moral good, then we are further stigmatizing it and the people who need it. That's what a colleague told Wynn. <clears throat> Planned Parenthood's local affiliates across the country whom Wynn visited seemed to better align with her view, she implied. They were the ones providing pap smears and prescriptions, not just abortions, but Wynn had to answer to Planned Parenthood's board. Wynn said ultimately the tension between her and those around her wasn't just about abortion, but about politics. Planned Parenthood sees itself as a liberal advocacy organization, outspoken on issues loosely related to health care like net neutrality, defunding the police, and D.C. statehood, she wrote. As the 2020 election loomed and abortion access came under intensified threat, the organization wanted to double down on its pro-abortion messaging. 
I love the fact that, that not Yahoo News actually writes pro-abortion messaging. They're not saying pro-choice there. They're saying pro-abortion messaging because that is the messaging of Planned Parenthood. It's pro-abortion. So hats off to Yahoo News for getting that right. Wynn said this, I was given a choice, change or leave. Before her lawyers could come to a mutually agreed upon departure statement, the board voted her out. And she learned about it through a New York Times news alert on her phone. They didn't even give her the dignity to let her know to her face. They leaked it to the media before they even told the president of the organization. Boy, that's caring about women, isn't it? That shows a deep love for women that they would, they would fire their president and then leak it to to a news outlet before they even tell her. And yet, when she wrote, or yet, when wrote, she has deep empathy and profound appreciation for Planned Parenthood staffers. That Planned Parenthood is still in existence over 100 years after its founding, she said, is a testament to the courage and to the mission. Now, obviously, I disagree with that. That just means that that Wynn is a pretty good person. The way they treated her. But it's interesting. They, you know, when, when she was named president, everyone was excited because she was the first medical, the first doctor to lead the organization. A doctor, a female, successful, had kids of her own. And in the first interview, she doesn't even mention abortion. Look, you know, far be it for me to give advice to Planned Parenthood. But if they would have kept, I'm, I'm glad they didn't keep her as their president because she makes a lot of sense. You know, but they, they can't see past the golden calf. They can't. They want to be known for abortion. They have to be known for abortion. Abortion is it. Yeah, all the other stuff we do is fine, but abortion is, is the main thing. And the fact that that she walked out of that interview first day on the job and a board member sent her a text and said, you didn't even mention abortion, not congratulations, not we're so glad you're going to, you're going to just get better and better as you do more of these. No lifting up, but they had to what? They had to bring it back to abortion. They had to bring it back to the, the golden calf. They had to text her and say, Hey, Hey, you didn't, you didn't even say abortion. And the staff members telling her that if you don't say it, and if we don't say it loudly and proudly, then then we're just going to create a stigma around it. And so, what does that tell you about the culture there? That that Wynn said that she would go to to affiliates and talk to staff members, and the staff members would agree with her. Yet the higher ups are saying, "No, we're a political organization. We're all about abortion. We're all about this. We're all about that." What what does that say about the environment that's going on and the the, the environment that that's being worked in? Hats off to, to Dr. Wynn for writing this book and being bold enough to actually to say the things that she said. But it but it does say a lot. I mean, we all believe that. You can probably go back to past shows and and I talked about it as as Dr. Wynn was fired and and I mentioned that's why they're doing this is because she's trying to get the focus on uh, all the other services and, and Planned Parenthood doesn't care about all the other services. That's just to get you in the door to do the abortion. Like that's the goal. Because you got to always remember. Now, now the 
the illustration of saying it's the golden calf to non-Christians that may not make sense. It's the idol. It's the it's the everything. It is it is the thing that we must not get rid of. It's the be all end all. And it's taking you down a damning path. So pray for Dr. Wynn. Pray for the those that are working in in that organization and pray that their eyes would be open uh, to what the Lord would have them. We'll be back. So as we finish up the show today, I do want to share something with you that, uh, that that's going on at Hope, and, and we actually sent a letter. I'm going to read that to you here in a second uh, concerning uh, Google searches on abortion across the state of Tennessee, and and I think your eyes may be open to some things that that are occurring. So we've spent the last year looking inward at our practices and outward at our patients, trying to decide how we can better reach those in our city that are in vulnerable situations facing unplanned pregnancies and seriously contemplating abortion. This research and focus effort have produced some staggering data as we get a glimpse into the questions and curiosity surrounding abortion. So what do I mean by that? Well, our research has shown that there are 15,000 Google searches for abortion every single month in the state of Tennessee. 8% of those searches occur right here in Knoxville. That means that we are seeing over 1,200 abortion searches every month in the city we call home. This number forced us to dive deeper into the data where we found that late-term abortion searches are also increasing here in Tennessee and specifically Knoxville. I share these numbers with you because I want you to join me in praying for those that find themselves in desperate situations where they populate their Google searches with abortion-oriented questions. This news didn't come as a surprise to us, but it did encourage us to make a concerted effort to meet our patients where they are. This is why we have increased our marketing efforts substantially so that hope appears in these Google searches and on social media platforms and where our patients are always looking, their phones. This strategy has already proven successful as we have seen a 290% increase in patients who were vulnerable for choosing abortion within the past year. This data is the impetus for what I'm saying today. Hope has been a fixture in this city for going on 25 years. We have assisted with education in our schools, spoken at churches, and have been a consistent presence on UT campus. But a great deal has changed during these two decades as social media is a constant. Phones are a necessity and online interaction via advertisements has become the number one avenue for connecting and reaching our patients. This is where your partnership comes in. You have helped us provide pregnancy tests, ultrasounds, classes, and baby showers. Your consistent engagement has been instrumental in the success of hope and our ability to serve the most vulnerable in our city. You have been willing to adjust and adapt with us over the years, and I humbly ask for you to come alongside of us again as we adjust and adapt Hope's marketing to reach more women in need of that pregnancy test, ultrasound, STD test, well woman exam class, or baby shower. Hope has been and continues to be a leader in pregnancy center work. You have helped us set the bar for expert medical care providing, provided in a loving, gentle, and biblical environment. This is why we trust and believe that a woman entering our building for any of our services will see her chances of carrying a baby to term exponentially increase. I know this because I know the quality of care our staff provides and desires to offer to the thousands of women that we serve. So the question is, will you help us once again adapt and continue our marketing efforts as we seek to reach those in need? Your partnership will help us rise to the top of these online searches and ultimately keep women out of an abortion clinic. I mean, that's what we're doing, folks. So you can go to investinghope.com right now, click the donate button and, and partner with us to make sure that we help 
keep these women out of abortion clinics. Look, the, the work that we're doing, the work that pregnancy centers are doing across our state, across the country, is making a difference. Lives are being impacted. Lives are being saved, not just physically here to live on earth, but, but for eternity. And so the question is, is it worth it? Is it worth it? You know, we can make comments and we can post all day long on social media about our frustrations with Washington, our frustrations with the president, our frustrations with the Supreme Court. And, and folks, we're good at that. We do a lot of that. <clears throat> we argue about everything. But the question is, what are we doing outside of those posts, outside of those comments? What are we doing in our everyday lives? Are we being generous? Where's our money going? Do we want to see a change? Do we desire to see a change? Are we willing to, to be a part of that change? Or is it just something we like to yell about? Look, I get it. I like to yell about it too. I like to yell about a lot of things. But at some point, the yelling and the, the political tantrums have to stop. And we have to understand work needs to be done. So for some of you, that may be writing a check. For some of you, that may be volunteering your time. For some of you, that may be praying. I don't know what it looks like. But all I'm saying is, if it's worth it, then you would do something. If it's worth it, then you'll write that check. If it's worth it, then you'll volunteer your time. If it's worth it, then you'll pray. Because we've been called to... To get off the sidelines. So if you're listening to this show, that means you're passionate about the work that's being done. It means you want to see a, a shift in our society and our culture. Then join us. Let's get after it. Let's love people well. Let's see babies saved. Let's see lives transformed for eternity. What a blessing that will be. We'll talk to you next week. <laughs>